Jesus Christ. And from the Lord Jesus Christ himself. I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness of this world and life. Prepare you the way of the Lord. Make every great path straight. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. In our last broadcast, looking at the global theme of the truth about the gospel, we were looking at dealing with issues at the ground floor as one of the uh, preconditions to entering into the service of God. You recall we have been looking at the, the, um, the process of salvation, sanctification, separation or consecration, and then divine service. So we're looking at service now, but we have not entered into the nitty-gritty of service. We are looking at the things that we must do before we are able to even get into the service of Almighty God. Now, we looked at dealing with issues at the ground floor, and we noted some very important things. For example, we noted that in the Song of Solomon, the Bible talks about little foxes that spoil the vineyard. We're talking about things that, you know, disturb the work of God when we get to a higher level. By the time we get to the place where we should really be on full throttle for God, some of these little foxes just trip in and then they destroy, they spoil the work that God wants us to do. We, 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 we saw how the Bible wants us in Hebrews chapter 12 that we should strip off these things that easily beset us, these things that encumber us, these things that hinder us from running the race that God has set before us. We, we saw the examples of Gideon. Gideon was somebody that God had called to do his work, yet God told Gideon that first he must deal with the idol in his father's backyard before he could even go ahead to deliver Israel uh, from the hands of the Midianites. We saw how Moses himself, God had sent Moses to go to Egypt, yet his son, was his second son, had not been circumcised. And God waited on, for Moses on the way to kill him because of that. It took Moses' wife to, 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 to circumcise the boy because Moses was so ill, he couldn't do it himself. Moses' wife had to circumcise the boy and then God let Moses go. We saw, on, on, unfortunately, the example of Samson who did not deal with the issues that were in his life, particularly the issue of his eyes and not being able to control himself when he saw a woman. And we saw how that got him into trouble with Delilah and he, his eyes were removed. He was imprisoned and he became a slave to the enemy that he could easily have been able to deal with. But for the fact that he did not deal with those issues in his life. We saw how Saul also, not being able to deal with issues in his life, lost the kingdom that God wanted to give to him. He could not deal with the issue of uh, 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 his inferiority. He was moved by the crowd rather than moved by the word of God. And then we saw the example of David, who was not, was not really a fantastic fellow when you look at him in comparison to Saul. But David had something going for him. He was somebody whose heart was always turned towards God. So that when he did something wrong, he repented. He always turned to God. And I want us to understand that one of the greatest attributes or one of the greatest resources or gifts that God has given to the body of Christ, to Christians, is the gift of repentance. That even when you have misbehaved, when you have done something wrong, God, through repentance, will forgive you and restore you back into fellowship with him. Now, we noted 
that if we don't deal with these easily besetting sins at the ground floor, they will come and hinder us when we are about to take off. And by the grace of God, I'm trusting the Almighty God that we have dealt with some of these issues over the last uh, few weeks since we last met. Now, in our broadcast today, we want to look at, we want to press forward, even though we're not going to be discussing divine service itself. But again, there's a step more. Now, after all said and done, after you are keep, you've kept yourself from, you know, from, uh, from sin, you've kept yourself pure, so that you can serve God acceptably, you, you've, you've allowed yourself to be sanctified, and you keep sanctifying yourself on a daily basis, you have consecrated yourself, devoted yourself to serve God and Him alone, you have made up your mind that it is God's will that you want to chase after, you have dealt with the issues on the ground floor, of, 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 of the issues of your life at the ground floor, so that by the time you are ready to take off, there will be no nothing to hinder you. No, Satan, Satan will not have something to lay a, a hold on you. Now you are almost there. Almost, I said almost, because you are not quite there. You are almost at the place where God will do his work through you. Remember we've said this, that the work of God can only be done by God. God wants to do his work through you. The Lord Jesus said in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, that you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And then you shall be able to be witnesses unto, unto me in Jerusalem, in uh, the whole of Judea, in Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. But wait first until you receive power from on high. It is the receiving of this power from on high that is when we are endued with power from on high by the Spirit of God that we are now able to serve God. Indeed, in Mark chapter 16, Verse 20, after the Lord had given them the instructions to go into all the world and preach the gospel, the Bible records in verse 20 of Mark chapter 16, it says, And they, that is disciples, went out and preached everywhere, the Lord walking with them and confirming the word through the accompanying signs. You don't have to walk up signs. You don't, you don't walk them up. You do what God has asked you to do. He will bring about the confirmation of the word or the teachings that he has asked you to teach. You don't have to get yourself involved in manipulations, in lying, in deceptions, and other things that we find so rampant today. People are so much eager to show that they are something. And there's nothing to show that we are something. Because it is God who is doing his work through us. It is God who is doing in us to will and to do of his good pleasure so that his work can be done. So before we can be engaged in divine service, we must, and I, I want you to underline the word must, of necessity, underline it, that's double emphasis. We must of necessity pass a test or an examination. So in this broadcast, we want to talk about pre-engagement examination. Pre-engagement examination. Now, what do we mean by pre-engagement examination? An examination is basically a probing, an inquisition, a proving, a testing, a temptation. And 
what we're trying to say here is that there are some things that will now be investigated about you. It's like, in the, in the, well, I'm sure some people still go to banking halls today, but some years back when, you, when, you, when somebody gives you a check in your name, you go to the banking hall. The man has maybe authorized it at the back of the, the, the check leaf. And then you get into the banking hall. They will ask for your, after they've received the check, they've confirmed the man's signature and everything. Then they turn to you. They ask for your identification. They take a photograph of you. They look, scrutinize your ID card. And after all of that, they still give a call to the man. To say, Did you give him this check? Just to confirm all of that because of what they are trying to give to you. When God brings you into his service, because of the tremendous power that is going to come upon you, you have to be tested. You have to be proven that you will not disgrace or disappoint God. So there are two basic reasons why every Christian who is going to enter into the service of God at whatever level, no matter how little, no matter how seemingly insignificant, with God there is nothing that is insignificant. Everything is significant. You have to go through that examination. So the question is, why? Number one, God cannot use or empower an untested and unproven man to do his work. He cannot give you that power. He cannot give you that authority. Such an untested man will bring the name of God into disrepute if care is not taken. The Bible says in Romans chapter 2 verse 24, it says because of many of the way, because of the way many Christians are behaving, the name of God is profaned among the heathen, among the Gentiles, among those who are unbelievers. We see that today, the name of God is being profaned left, right and center because of unproven men, untested men who are picking up microphones and are saying, calling themselves by whatever title they want to call themselves and say that they are doing the work of God. Now, why is God going to prove this man? Because, you see, when God empowers you, he doesn't take it away. The Bible says in Romans chapter 11 verse 29, it says the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. He will not remove it. He will leave it there. Now, that does not mean that because God has left the gift with you and you have misbehaved, that you can still use it to serve God. No. Because God, haven't, when you have misbehaved, God departs. If you don't repent, God will depart and that gift will become corrupted. The gift is only useful because God is in you, because God is with you, because God is doing the work through you. The moment God departs, even though the gift remains, even though the, the power may, may remain, but the authority to do it is no longer from God, you are now going to be used by Satan to do the wrong things. When, when, when God kicked Satan out of um, heaven, he did not remove anything that he gave to Satan. That is why Satan uses the power that God gave him to do evil. But that power is no longer divine. It is now wiles. We call it wiles. The Bible talks, talks about the wiles of Satan. So before God can empower you, he, he wants to prove you. And we're going to look at a little bit of that. The proving of God is actually to show you the areas where you still need to work on. 
It's not to it's not to destabilize you. It's not to say you are not you are not useful to me. No, God is saying to you, work on these areas, and you will become useful. So that is the first reason why you will go through a pre-engagement examination. The second reason why you go through a pre-engagement examination again derives from what we said that once you are empowered, that power will be there. However, this one from the standpoint of Satan, once you are empowered by God, you now have authority to deal with Satan and his demons. When you say to somebody who is demon-possessed, out, just a word, he must obey because of the empowerment. And so, Satan insists on examining all those whom God will thus empower because once they are thus empowered, he has to listen to them. But what he does is, even after we have been empowered, Satan is still going to come and try to mess us up because he knows that once he messes us up and God withdraws from us, even though the power is still there, he can now use it for his own purpose. He becomes wiles and he will be able to use it. So God is also particular that you don't get to the place where his power in your hands is now being used by Satan for Satan's own purpose. And so this is the reason why you must go through a pre, uh, what do you call it now? A pre-engagement examination. In Luke chapter 10, verse 19, for example, the Bible says, the Lord Jesus was talking to his disciples. He said, I have given you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you. I've given you power, I've given you authority to deal with Satan. And you'll be wondering why. In Hebrews chapter 2, 6 to 9, you see, when, if, if, if you, if, if you uh, have a bully, somebody who is, who is bullying others, and you are able to beat him, and to be clear that it's because you are bigger than him that you beat him, you don't do that yourself. So you bring one of the people he's been bullying, whilst you are standing there, and tell that fellow, give him a slap, kick him, beat him up, because the bully knows that you are there, he cannot touch him. He will just sit down there and allow him to be beating you. You recall, I think there was a time when Gideon had uh, captured two kings, and he was asking what kind of people the kings killed, and the king said, oh, the, those kings said, oh, princes like yourself. So Gideon, not wanting to kill them, said to his children, put your feet on, the, on their necks, put your feet on their necks and kill them. But the children were afraid. So Gideon had to do it himself. That's the kind of thing that God wants to do. God wants to deal with Satan. But you see, he, he, if he deals with Satan himself, it will, it will be like this. Satan will say, eh, of course, what else now? You can deal with me. So what does God do? God picks man and empowers man and says, now, deal with this fellow. And then Satan, of course, is, is ashamed that he's been beaten by man. So he tries very hard to make sure that man does not get empowered, which is why he brings temptation our way before engagement, during engagement, and so that we can lose that power even after it has been given to us. In Hebrews chapter 2, reading from verse 6 to verse 9, a very interesting passage of scripture is, is, is given here. It says, but one testified in a certain place saying, what is man that you are mindful of him? Or the son of man, that you take care of him. You have made him a little lower than the angels. So man is lower than the angels. Man is lower than Satan. 
the way he was made, because he's a created being, he, he, he has a body. So we, we are spiritual, yet we have a body. So we are sedentary, we're in one place. We, we don't even have the capacity to see the spirit realm around us on, on what is going on. So God has made man a little lower than angels. Yet, look at what it says, you have crowned him with glory and honor and set him over the works of your hands. You have put all things in subjection under his feet. How do you make somebody lower than angels and yet you now put so much power, so much authority upon that fellow and now give him power over even angels that, you, that God had made? That's what God has done. In verse 9, continue to read, uh, continuing in verse 8, it says, For in that he put all in subjection under him, that is under man, he left nothing that is not put under him. But now we do not yet see all things under man, under him. We don't see all things under man. But look at verse 9. In verse 9 it says, But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. So Jesus himself, when he came, he came in the form of man, being made subject to the frailties and weaknesses and infirmities of man, so that God could deal with Satan through man. So God was in Christ, doing the work of God through Christ. And Christ had been proven, had been tempted, and we, can, we shall look at that by the grace of God, if not in this broadcast, maybe in the next broadcast, and was able to deal with Satan and go through the cross, dying and resurrecting the third day, thus having power over Satan. So as we now come under Christ, this is the message of the gospel. Not those things that people are running all over the place. No, 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 no. When we now come through Christ into the, 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 the knowledge of the gospel, we are now empowered the same way Christ was crowned with glory and honor, same way he was empowered, we are now thus empowered to be able to deal with Satan by rescuing people from his hands. The Bible talks about the Lord Jesus Christ in Acts chapter 10 verse 38, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power who went about healing all that were oppressed of the devil, uh, delivering all that were oppressed of the devil and healing all, uh, uh, and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, something, some of that, some of that sort. I mean, you, you, you know what the scripture is about. That he was going about cure, healing people and rescuing people who were oppressed by Satan. It is the same thing that God wants to do in our lives. But Satan has a, a role. God's goal in proving us is to qualify us, to pass us, to say, yes, you have passed. And where we have not passed, we repent and go back, take it again. On, God wants us to pass. But Satan's goal is to disqualify us so that God will not give us that power, so that we will not be able to deal with him. The, 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 the fewer who are thus empowered, the better for him. But once you are thus empowered, he knows that he is subject to you. So he tries all manner of tricks to make sure that he can overtake and overrun us in that path. So this is the, this is the role. Now, let me, let me, let, let's look at Genesis chapter 1 at the beginning. 
In Genesis chapter 1, verse 27 and 28, when God was going to make man, the Bible says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. God had given power to man to have authority over everything that he had made. And with this authority, don't forget, Satan had already been cast down. Satan had been thrown out. But with this authority, man even had the power over Satan. But of course, we didn't know at the time. Adam didn't know at the time that he had that kind of power over Satan. Now, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 8 and verse 9, the Bible says, The Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground, the Lord God made every tree grow that is, note this, pleasant to the sight and good for food. Every tree was pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst or in the middle of the garden. And the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Not those two things. Now, let's move on to verse 15 through to 17. Genesis chapter 2 still. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and to keep it, to take care of the garden, to nourish, to take care of the garden. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So, this is what is happening. God had planted a garden. He had already said, this is my intention. I want man to have dominion over my creation. Everything that I've created, which of course tacitly included Satan. I want him to have dominion over everything there. And then, God planted a garden. And said, now in this garden, I want you to take care of this garden. In that garden, God put trees. Many trees. Fruit-bearing trees. And said, the Bible says the trees were pleasant to the sight. They were pleasant to, 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 to look upon. They were good. for All of them were good for food. Including the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Then um, he put two trees in the middle of the garden. The tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then when he put man in the garden, he now took man around and said, All these trees I've given to you, eat them freely. But you see this tree, this one called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat it. The day you eat it, you will surely die. But now, you, we, we may not understand this language because we know that Adam and Eve did not drop dead the day they ate it. But they were immediately separated from God. Death is actually a separation from God. So he said, the day you eat of this thing, you will be eternally, you will be completely separated rather from me. So don't eat of it. If you want us to have fellowship together, do not eat of this tree. Eat of any other tree. Now, we now go to chapter 3. And in chapter 3, we begin to see the subtlety of Satan. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Now, 
the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? The, the, the serpent himself was crafty within himself. So he was a veritable tool in the hands of Satan. So when a man, for example, has cunningness in him, he becomes a tool. Satan loves such people. He can use you any day. When you find a man who is exhibiting the works of the flesh, he becomes a, ver a veritable vessel in the hand of Satan. So he comes to Eve and begins to question her in a very subtle way. Indeed, he says, did God say, you will indeed die if you eat of every tree of the garden? Did God say that? No. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God had said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Now, you can begin to see a deviation in what is, and this is very crucial for us as Christians. Number one, there were two trees in the middle. So why is Eve saying you may not touch the tree in the midst? There were two of them there. Why did she not say this one? And then God said, don't eat of it. He didn't talk of touching. And then she adds touching. So when we begin to misquote the word of God, we are opening the door. Satan already says that these ones don't know the word. So he, he, now, he, he, now, he now brings his temptation, his wile into it. So I'm sure all he needed to say to, to Eve is touch it and let us see whether you will die. And she will touch it and nothing happens. So go ahead and eat it. It's as simple as that. The moment you start giving interpretations to what God did not say, you are opening the door for Satan to come and deal with you. So these are things, we go through these things every day because the examination of Satan is on a daily basis. In verse um, 4, Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Satan immediately directs her to only one tree in the middle, not the tree of life, but the tree of good and evil. He says, you'll be like God. You're going to know things just the way God knows all things, as if they didn't know things. In verse 6, look at what the Bible says about what Eve did. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, Nothing different there. God already said the trees are good for food. And that it was pleasant to the eyes. Nothing there. God already said it was pleasant to the eyes. And a tree desirable to make one wise. God did not say that. That is her own conclusion based on what Satan had told her. She took of it, that is of, of the fruit of the tree, and ate. And I'm sure when she ate it, nothing seemed to happen. She didn't drop dead, nothing. Then... She also gave it to her husband, and he also ate. And then in verse 7, the Bible says, Then their eyes were open, and they suddenly realized that they were naked. And then they went and sowed fig, fig trees, fig leaves together to cover themselves. And in the evening, they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. That's in the evening time. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. How could somebody who had such wonderful time of fellowship with God, he was just himself and his wife alone. They had time with God and they were in a garden. Why was he hiding? Because he had sinned. 
Sin had exposed his, has exposed his nakedness. He could no longer have the confidence to stand before God. And the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? Sometimes, you know, one wonders why God does these things. But the reality of it is that God was giving Adam every opportunity in spite of his failings to repent. If Adam had but repented, I tell you the truth, Satan would have lost that battle. So God came and said, where are you? Do you think God did not know where he was? Was God asking him for information? Like someone said once, he said, when God asks you a question, he's not asking for information. He already knows the answer. He wants to know how you will respond to the question he's asking. So in asking Adam, where are you? He expected Adam to say, oh, this is my situation. I am sorry. I, 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 I ate of the tree. I sinned. Please forgive me. But no, what did Adam do? He pointed a finger at Eve, blaming Eve. So God left Adam and went to Eve. Why did you do it? Instead of Eve to also repent, she pointed a finger at, 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 at the serpent. Every attempt that God had made to bring them to the, to the knowledge of salvation through repentance failed. And of course, we know the, the rest of the rest is like they say, history. How man was cursed, the woman was cursed, Satan was cursed, the serpent was cursed, and so on and so forth. Man was driven out of the garden. The, the tree of life was now shielded. In eternity, we are all, all those who make it to heaven will again eat or will now eat of that tree of life because that's when they will live forever in the state of purity. So Adam and Eve had to be proven by God. They were, they were innocent, yes, but they were not yet tested. So they had to be tested. And God put everything there he allowed the test by Satan. Let me explain it to us. We all go to, I mean, in, in, in especially in um, high school, or secondary school, senior school, junior school. When you, are, when you go to school, you are taught by your teachers. The teacher will teach you subjects, syllabus, and so on and so forth. They teach you all that they need to teach you. And then they can now say, now you are ready for the general exams, which could be in Nigeria, it is junior WAEC or the senior WAEC itself, or NECO, I think um, overseas it would be general, in, in the UK it must be the general certificate GC or so, in the US probably I think it's the SAT, I don't know whether it's SAT exams or one of those exams, but you go for a general exam that you are now going to pass. Now the person who is setting the exam in the general exams is not your class teacher, it's somebody else. So your class teacher makes every effort to teach you all the possible areas from the syllabus so that you can confidently pass the exam. So that's what happens. God teaches us by his word everything that we need to know. He gives us instructions that we ought to follow. And if we will follow it, we'll pass that general exam. Now, Satan is the examiner. So Satan comes to examine us. But in the course of our test, in the course of our teachings, receiving instruction from God, we are tested. The test is not in the general exam. The test is there to prove us, to show us that you, you, you didn't get this section right. Go and read more and take it again. You take it again and you pass. That is the place of repentance. Repentance and restitution. We repent, we restitute, and then we come back again and take that thing again. And then we pass and we move on to something higher until we are ready. Then we face the examination. When we face the examination, it is everything that we have learned from the word of God that we will pass. 
that, that we'll use to answer the questions. So to prepare us for Satan's exam, God will pass us through the challenges of life, through the rigors of life, the tribulations, the trials. Those are the ways by which God tests us. He will teach us some things and then he will test us to prove us. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 2 and 3. All of this is pre-engagement examination. You are not yet ready for engagement. You may be preaching. You may be teaching. You may even be doing miracles, one or two small miracles here and there. It doesn't matter. It is still part of your training. But you have not yet entered into the full engagement of divine service. But it is, it is the process. And you have been tested to see those things in a practical sense. So, John chapter 8, verse 2 and 3, the Bible says, this is the God speaking about Israel. He said, And you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and test you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. So, he humbled you, allowed you to hunger, and led you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. God brought Israel out and allowed them to go through trials. He wanted to know what was in their heart, whether they would obey him or not. So he allowed them to get to the place of the Red Sea. It was God that arranged for them to get to the Red Sea. He knew he was going to part the Red Sea and pass them through. But he got them there. And what did they do? They, they immediately descended on Moses. We told you we didn't want to leave. These are the people who cried to God that we want to leave. They began, when, when the thing changed, they changed their mouth. No, we don't want to leave. We don't want to leave. Oh, we told you. You see? And they were already lining themselves up for when, if, if Pharaoh should come to be able to say, we told, we had been telling him to leave us alone. He dragged us here. But God had mercy on them. They crossed. They crossed and then they found water to drink. And the water was bitter. And again, they wanted to descend on Moses. But Moses cried to God. And God told him, cut that branch and put it inside the water. The tree was already there. He just cut the branch, threw it in the water. The water became sweet. They drank. They were happy. A few days after, just a short while, they got to the city of Palms. 70 Palms with oasis, water all over the place. It was just testing. And God kept telling them, I am just prove, I just want to prove you to know who you are. Then he brought manna to them and said of the manna, take just enough that you need for a day because tomorrow you will get it. On the sixth day, I will give you double because you are not going to get it on the seventh day. On the first day that the, 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 the manna was given, they, they went, many of them rushed, 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 rushed. By the next day, what they had rushed for had begun to stink. God said, Who are these? what kind of people are this? They will have it tomorrow. Then on the sixth day, instead of them to gather the double, they gathered just enough for the sixth day. On the seventh day, there was none. They were going out to, to, to look for God said, who are these people? This is the problem. God tested this book for 40 years in the wilderness. He said, I gave you that manna and not bread. Because I want you to know that even if you don't have food, my word will sustain you. That man lives by every word, every word that is spoken by God. That is how you live if you are going to serve the almighty God. God is going to remove things that you have been depending on. Things that you think you, can you cannot survive with. 
You cannot survive except they are there. He will remove those things and give you only his word. And say, now live by my word. That is his testing. He wants a situation where even if you don't have anything, you will not disobey him. Because Satan is going to use the fear of your losing some things to get you to disobey God. So God does these things. He allows you to go through these trials, these tribulations. Because he wants to prove you. To say, look, this area you need to work on this. That area you need to strengthen it. In Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, verse 3 and 4. The Bible tells us that we can rejoice also in tribulations. Because tribulations work. Let, 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 let me read it. Romans chapter 5. Verse 3. And verse 4. It says, and not only that, that is not only do we rejoice because we have been saved, we have been justified uh, through by, by faith through Christ. But it says, but we also glory, we also rejoice in tribulations. We don't complain, we are not supposed to murmur in tribulation. We glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance or endurance or patience. Going through the grind, regardless of how long things are taking to come, we wait on God. We hold on, we hang in there. And perseverance, character. We're talking here the character of God, the character of God, the nature of God, producing the fruit of the Spirit. And character, hope. The hope that at the end of the day, we are going to be with Christ. The hope of, etern of eternity. Of eternal life in Christ Jesus. These are the things that God is doing in our lives. To build us up. To strengthen us. So that we do not get blindsided by Satan. And be overcome by him. Because God knows that Satan's goal. Is to make sure that no man will be able to humiliate him. Because that's what God. God wants to humiliate Satan using man. Not using himself. That is why Jesus Christ came as man. One of the reasons why Jesus Christ came as man. To humiliate Satan. That it is a man that is humiliating you. And today God has now brought men. The Bible says that he looks at the men that are nothing. Because he wants to confound those who say they are as nothing. He wants to confound Satan by picking man that is nothing. Yet we are quarreling. That God give me this gift. God wants you with that thing that you lack. He knew you didn't have it. He wants you with that lack. But he will empower you with his own power. And now say go and tell Satan to get out. But when Satan begins to lure you with something that you don't have and you are moved by it, that's it. In James chapter 1, reading from verse 2 to verse 4, my brethren, count it all joy. The disciples, these people, they knew what it meant. They said, count it all joy. Paul wrote that we can rejoice also, we can glory also in this. The Lord Jesus told us in Matthew chapter 5, he says, when you face diverse, uh, when you face persecution, rejoice. Here he's saying, my brethren, count it all joy. When you fall into various trials, the old King James will say temptation. Because the word temptation actually has one of two meanings. Trials or temptation itself. I'm going to explain that shortly. Knowing that the testing of your faith, this is what has been here, the proving, that is what is being proven. Do, do you have faith? When the Lord told his disciples, let's go over to the other side. And he went into the boat and slept. And a storm arose. They should have gone to sleep. But they did not. They were there battling the storm. So when he woke, when they woke him up, he said, what is wrong with these people? Storm, keep quiet. And the thing was calm. 
So why are you so fearful, O ye of little faith? That is, your faith is not in me, it's in something else. You are more frightened of the waves than you are of me, than, than, than your confidence, rather, in me. You are more confident that the, that the storm will, will drown you than you are of me saving you. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. As your faith is being tested, patience, perseverance, endurance is being worked into you. It says, but let patience, this endurance, let it have its perfect work. Let its work be complete. Don't let it be half done. If you, if you are grilling chicken in the oven and you feel, oh, this chicken is suffering, let's bring it out. It may not be well done. And if you should eat that chicken that is not well done, you, you will get contamination in your stomach. You might be ill and even die, depending on, on the kind of bacteria that you have ingested. So you must allow the chicken to be well done. The, the chicken may be complaining in the oven, but you know that it is for your own good because you are going to devour that chicken. You are going to eat of it. You need that chicken to be well done. God is going to glory in you when you are well tested, when you are well prepared. He does not want you to bring shame and disrepute to him. So he says, let patience have its perfect work or complete work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Let me say this, that the goal of God is perfection. The Bible tells us in, in Matthew chapter 5, I think verse 48, it says, Be ye therefore perfect, as your Father who is in heaven is perfect. Let us stop saying, no man is perfect. God expects us to be perfect. We may not be there. That's why Paul wrote, he said, I, I may not have attained to that perfection, but I press on, I keep going, I keep going, if I may get to that place that he wants for me. So you and I, should stop giving excuses for our not being perfect. We must strive for perfection. We must strive for perfection. That submission of saying, well, you know nobody is perfect. We cannot, be we, cannot, we cannot be perfect. No, you can. The Bible says you should be perfect. The Bible says be ye holy for I am holy. God wants you to be like him on the earth here. Going through perseverance. Facing all that you need to face. He's not asking you to do what you cannot do or what he has not enabled you to do. He's telling you that you should do that what he's enabling you to do, you can do it. And he wants you to do it. I said earlier that I'm going to distinguish between testing and temptation. Testing is the proving of God. Temptation is what Satan does to lure us to walk against God. Testing is what God does to reveal to us our shortcomings so that we can be able to deal with those shortcomings. And included in testing, God has also provided us with repentance and uh, restitution so that where we fail, where we fall, we can get back up again. But Satan does not give you that room. In fact, Satan does not encourage you to repent. Satan wants you disqualified because if you are qualified, you will beat him up. And he doesn't want to be, to be looking stupid that men are the ones beating him up. So he will do anything. He will, that's why you see today it's sad that somebody who says he's a pastor can go to the home of a herbalist, of a juju man, of some fellow who has nothing, no regard for God to say he's collecting power. What power? All he's collecting is the wiles from Satan. 
Do you think God is moved by that? Do we think that God is impressed by the fact that somebody got healed or did not get healed? Do you think that God is impressed by that? That you can impress God by going to get power from somewhere else? You remember the sons of Aaron, the first two sons of Aaron, who, who brought strange fire into the tabernacle. God smote them down immediately. Beloved, let's not tempt God. In James chapter 1, that same James chapter 1, let's go to verse um, 12. From verse 12, he says, Blessed is the man who endures temptation. You see, the test of God you will pass. The temptation of Satan you must endure. Because temptation will be there, you must endure and overcome it. He says, Blessed is the man who endures temptation. For when he has been approved, when he has passed, when he has overcome it, he will, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Remember what the Lord Jesus said, if you love me, do my commandments. The sign that we love God is that we are obeying him. You cannot say I love you, I love you, I love you with your lips and yet you are living contrary to God. You don't love God. The people who overcome temptation are the ones who have obeyed the word of God because the only way you are going to overcome temptation is to do the word of God. If you refuse to do the word of God, you will succumb to temptation. But if you overcome temptation, the crown of life is waiting for you in eternity. In verse 13 it says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. Don't say that. For God cannot be tempted by evil. That's number one. Nor does he himself tempt anyone to do evil. God, does, God cannot tempt you to do evil. God will never tempt you to do evil. At least in our time, he will not do that. Don't say, it is God that is tempting me. You are admiring a lady enough to want to even rape her. And you say it's temptation from God. God does, God does not tempt her. That's Satan. But even at that, the Bible makes a very strong point about what makes us to be overcome by temptation rather than us overcoming temptation. In verse 14 it says, But each one is tempted, that is overcome by temptation, when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. So now you see the reason why God is particular about purging you of the flesh and those desires. Why God has been saying to you, get rid of your desire and take on my desire. When you have the desire of God, you cannot be tempted by Satan successfully. Temptation will still come, but you will not be overcome by his temptation. But as long as you still keep your own desires there, your, Satan will use your desires to lure you, to entice you into doing what is contrary to the word of God. If, for example, your desire is to see a crowd, Satan will use crowd to deceive you and you will not do what God wants you to do. Because what God wants you to do, you may not see that it will, it will bring the crowd because it doesn't make sense. But it will bring the crowd eventually after you've gone through the grind. It says then when desire has conceived, it gives birth. Temptation copulates with your desire and conception takes place. And when it is conceived, it gives birth to sin. That's how sin is born. Sin is born because what is inside of us desires what Satan is bringing to us. If what is inside of us does not desire what Satan is bringing to us, it will fail. Sin will never be born. He says sin is conceived and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. 
So this is it. Satan knows that we have something in us that he can use to attract us to sin. But if we have crucified the flesh, there's nothing there. I think I've used this illustration before. If I put a piece of metal inside a plank, a strong metal, and then you bring a magnet, the magnet is going to attract that plank because of the metal inside. But if I remove that piece of metal, put the magnet, it's not going to attract it. So the goal here, all the tests that God is doing, is to get rid of every magnetic thing that can be attracted by temptation. And then you are ready for the examination. Because Satan can now test you in every way and you and, and will pass. The Bible says concerning the Lord Jesus Christ that he was tempted in every way, but he did not fall. It can happen to you also. It can happen for me as well. So whilst God is proving us, showing us what we need to get rid of, Satan is wanting to use those things that God wants to get rid of to draw us so that we can walk against God. God's desire is that you and I will pass. Satan's desire is that you and I will fail. The syllabus that prepares us to be able to overcome Satan is the Bible. Nothing but the Bible. And as long as we focus on the word of God, we will overcome. We will pass. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, chapter 10 rather, verse 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 13. It says, No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. God has trained you, you have the capacity. Any temptation that comes, you have the capacity to endure it. And uh, uh, to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. In all of that temptation, there's a way out. And as long as you are holding on to God, he will show you the way out. Even in the midst of that temptation, he will show you this is the way to go. And you will get out of it. The gospel message is not only to bring you to salvation, to sanctification, to separation or consecration, and then to divine service. But the gospel message is about your being prepared to withstand Satan to overcome his temptation and to be able to deal with him through the power of God by going through teachings from God, trials and tribulations. And then when you are ready, God will then say, okay, it's time for you to go and face your final exam. And then we give you your graduation, uh, your, your, your certificate with which you can now go ahead and deal with Satan. In Job chapter 1, in fact, the book of Job, you can read the whole of the book of Job. The Bible tells us about Job to begin with. He said Job was a man who was without blemish as far as God was concerned. He was a man who was perfect. He was a man who shunned evil. And then one day, the sons of God were appearing before God, that is the angels. And then Satan also came. And God said to Satan, what are you doing here? He says, I've been moving all over the place. Can't you see people are, are tempted left, right, and center? And God says, have you tried Job? Have you seen Job? That Job is my man. That he shuns evil. That Job is perfect before me. Have you seen that? And Satan said to God, does Job fear you for not? Is it not because you have shielded him, everything that he owns, you have surrounded with your power, you have, you have protected him, 
Remove that thing and let me deal with him. You will see him. He will curse you to your face. God said, okay, let's, let's have this contest. I'm, I'm sure of Job. And Satan went. In one day, killed all of Job's ten children. In one day, ruined his businesses. In one day, destroyed everything that is a, called a possession. Everything that Job owned. His houses, his businesses, his children. Everything that Job owned. And in each instance, all Satan did was to leave one person to come and give him the bad news. Maybe if he didn't have, know the bad news, he wouldn't, he wouldn't feel that bad. But there was always somebody, no sooner than this one is finishing, another one is coming to tell him, this has happened, another one is coming to, I mean, talk about a torrent of, of bad news. He kept coming at, he kept coming at Job, kept coming at Job. What did Job do? The Bible says that Job said, well, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Glory be to the name of the Lord. Ah, Satan said, this fellow, now wow. He went back to God and God said, have you seen, have you seen that Job has not reneged the way you think you will renege? Look at Satan said, oh, that is because what I did did not concern his body. A man will change when he touches his body. That is things that are external. Let me touch his body. God said, okay. You can't kill him. Do whatever you want to do. And Satan went and put boils on, 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 on Job. That as Job was scratching it, the thing was busting. A disease that nobody had seen before. And wonder what is going on. Now we see why the wife. God would have expected Satan to destroy the wife too. But he did not. Now we now see why the wife was kept. The wife was kept because she was going to be used by Satan to do other things. Job's wife must have had a desire like the women of the land. So Job's wife went and told Job, what are, are you still maintaining your integrity? You better cause God and die. What has caused God and die got to do with it? If that Satan had not entered into her to give her understanding of, or to tell her that this is, this is what is keeping your husband from dying. This is what is, if he can just cause God and die, the, the, he, he's gone and the disease is gone, you'll be free. And she told him, Job looked at the woman and said, you are behaving like one of the silly women of, 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 of this generation. You are behaving like one of the unbelieving women, telling me that I should cause God. If we have received good from God, should we not receive evil also? What a man. What a man. Brethren, there are pre-engagement examinations that you and I must face. The syllabus is the word of God. Satan is the tempter. Next broadcast, we shall be looking at one or two examples, particularly the example of the Lord Jesus Christ and how we overcame. Because we also must overcome. The time has come when the church of God must produce men and women who will, whom God will use to discomfiture Satan. The time has come when there will be men and women who will be so submitted to God that even when in the face of lack, they are tempted by something, by substance, they will dismiss it and follow the word of God. The issue before us is what is more pertinent to you and I. The word of God or sustenance. The word of God or substance. The word of God or what is being done or being said by the world. These are the issues. The gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is to bring men and women to Christ to serve him as he should be served in a manner that puts Satan to shame rather than God to shame. Sadly, what we have today in the church of God, universal, are men and women who are bringing disrepute to the name of God. Simple thing like women who are in public ministry, cover your head, we can't do. We won't do it.
giving their own interpretation to the gospel. So all the messages don't mean anything. God can't do anything with them. Oh, people may be receiving things because, you see, a, a number of times, people don't understand this thing, that when God told Moses to speak to the rock, and Moses struck the rock, water still came out. Water still came out. The people still drank water. But God went and told Moses, you did not glorify me. You went ahead and were, you were trying to do to the people to think that you are the one doing it. You didn't glorify me. You are not going to enter the land. Moses, Moses said he prayed three times. God said never. And stop after the third. God said, don't pray to me about that thing again. The best I'm going to do for you is you will see it, but you will not enter it. And I'm warning us today, begging us indeed. Let's not be like that. Let's not get to the place where we cannot enter the land. Where we will not be able to enter into heaven. Let's not joke with this. God wants you and I to be in it. That's why he saved us. That's why you see God raising teachers to teach the word. Because he doesn't want any one of us to fail. All these razzmatazz, signs and wonders, miracles here, healing here. Where is the teaching? No teaching. And God wants to teach us from his word. Not from Harvard or any other place. But from his word. Many of us are now using, using the word of God to teach business matters. No, teach the word of God simply. We will be able to function in our business endeavors when we have the word of God inside us by the spirit of God. Until we meet next, and I believe that should be the 21st of August, I want to plead with you. Focus on the word of God. Recognize that when temptation comes, the, the antidote is the word of God. And deal with the flesh that is in you. Crucify the flesh. Take the flesh to the cross of Jesus and let it be nailed there and killed so that you can come away from the cross without the flesh. Once the flesh has been killed, you will rise up to a, new, as a newness of man, a newness of life rather, in Christ Jesus. The crucified life will give rise to the resurrected life which resurrects in power to manifest the power of God. And then when temptation comes, you will overcome. My prayer is that we shall all overcome in the name of Jesus. And that at the end of the day, not one of us will be ashamed to stand before the Lord. Because we must all stand before the Lord Jesus Christ. To give account of all that we have done in this body here on the earth. Until we meet again, God bless you and goodbye.